listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. I hope everyone is ready for some riveting modern digital radio, because today we are talking about lead management processes, which I can't imagine anything more exciting than that, right? I mean, is that exciting stuff or what? I think it's exciting. Are you awake? <laughs> I, hey, 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 listeners, before you bail, don't listen to Justin or Justin, Justin. <laughs> Jason. You know, it's so funny. I just called him Justin because, you know, Jason and I text quite a bit. And over the past weekend during the NFL draft, one of those high caliber Ohio State prospects made it to the Bears. So we were having a conversation about that. So, Jason, this is important stuff. <laughs> and, and it's more important than Justin Fields going to the Bears. And this is important because... Not the Bears fans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's important because, you know, one of marketing's primary roles is to drive leads. And driving leads in professional services is not just about lead generation, it's nurturing because these things take time. And too much of the lead nurturing, I think, falls to very busy line people. And I think that work needs to be more intelligently managed and focused on. So I think this is, a, this is an important episode if you want to take marketing and sales to the next level, because top firms do this really, really well. I agree, obviously. It's funny because in a lot of client relationships, one of the core objectives we have for the client is to generate leads. And inevitably, the first question is, well, what's a lead, right? And then we covered that in our last episode. And what does it mean that we put a lead into the funnel for the organization? And so a lot of times, you know, you have to have some model by which you're going to manage the leads that come into the system. And you need to have some agreed upon language of what constitutes a lead or a certain type of lead at a certain point in time so that you can, you know, determine whether or not what you're putting into the marketing database, if you will, is good stuff. Are these good people that, not that they're bad people, but you know what I mean? Like quality prospective clients for the firm, which at the end of the day is what you really are measured by, right? Is your ability to deliver quality potential new business relationships for the business development units to move on. I like the way you describe that because you know, where we're talking about a funnel, most people, I think, and, well, this isn't fair to, to speak for all people, but the image I had as you were describing that is, you know, lead goes in to the top of the funnel and maybe it cascades down, maybe it doesn't, you know, becomes an opportunity and moves through proposal and, and, and all of that. But to me, the lead, the moment we capture a lead, there's this golden opportunity for learning. And whether or not a lead turns into a opportunity that turns into revenue, it still has incredible value for upstream learning in terms of the type of marketing that we're doing, the types of lead that we're attracting, and how we are investing limited resources in order to produce those leads. And until we capture a lead, 
we have no way of measuring the effectiveness of what we're doing from a sales and marketing perspective, upstream or downstream. And that's why it's so important to capture them. But I think firms think, well, that's not a good lead. All right, let's move on. Right? Yeah. And I think it's it comes back to what we talked about last time, definitions of a lead. What is a lead? And I know I, I put forth the definition that we like, which is it's a clue to a sale. It's any person that enters the database until they're rejected. Any person that becomes part of your marketing universe that has basically demonstrated some willingness to receive marketing from you. Now, that doesn't mean that every lead is the same and every lead is of equal value to the firm. And that's a function of both, yeah, obviously, what organization they come from, what role they're in, right? Obviously, the CEO of a Fortune 500 company might be a higher value lead than you know a lower level, middle level manager in a smaller company. Uh, that may not always be the case, but that might be the case. But it also might be where the lead came from, as, you, as we, you, you we talked about last time, inbound versus outbound. So the idea that you know, someone that comes into your system via referral, obviously, is seen as the holy grail by a lot of firms. But a lot of times... We've found over time that maybe it's from thought leadership. So leads that, that derive from thought leadership are often higher quality leads than those that derive from even referrals. Leads that maybe are just a name on a list, someone that you identified as a, a viable prospect, someone that you think you could provide expertise or your expertise would be valid, may not be as valuable because they don't really have any relationship to you, right? Mm-hmm. So your, man, your, your lead management process needs to be able to account for all those things. And, it, and to your point, it needs to kind of have some progression to it where you're trying to get from, hey, here's a name on a list, a clue to a sale, to here's a conversation, an opportunity, and, and a closed piece of business and a new relationship, right? So you have to have some way that you expect to progress people through that journey and have some understanding of what you think that, that buying process is. So let's talk about the process. All right. So let's just talk, well, let's talk about definitions. So one of the things I always talk about is this idea that you need to have some common language in the firm. So as I said before, you know, if a lead is a clue to a sale, a lead is anybody that enters the database, well, that doesn't mean you want every single person that enters the database having a partner responsible for that person because that person may not be sales ready, as they say. And if, if you look at really big software companies that say they have a really robust lead management process with multiple tiers and lots of different language. We've all come down to there's probably three different status points you need in a, in a good process. The first is obviously a lead that enters the system that's brand new that you know very little about. And the first thing you're trying to do is qualify them based on whatever your agreed upon firmographics and demographics are of what constitutes your ideal client set. So, you know, it's the right person in the right organization. Once you know that that person meets those constraints, then they're marketing qualified. So that's the MQL language that you see float around the marketing universe. So your first leap is basically to determine, is this person qualified from marketing's perspective based on just simply who they are? Now, if you, again, back to to approaches to lead generation, if you have an outbound model, you probably identified this person. So they should, out of the gate, meet your criteria, right? You shouldn't be proactively marketing to people that don't meet your criteria of ideal client. If they're inbound, you need a little more information, right? So if someone subscribed to a newsletter, you may not have all that information. So you either have to put a system in place to capture it through your, your lead touch points, or you need to have a, you know, a resource in-house that's going to qualify things as they come through the system. So that's sort of layer one to me. It's sort of like you have to get leads from being a name on a page to determining whether they're qualified or not based on the rubrics that you've set in the early stages of ideal client that we've always talked about. 
And if they're not, then just you have a system to mark them as worked, right? To say, well, this lead doesn't really meet the profile of what we're looking for. So we're not going to proactively you know, try to do things with them. But obviously, if they come looking to, for a, a direct conversation, we'll handle that accordingly. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. And then the layer below that is behavior driven, right? It's And that's a sales ready lead. So there's the obvious one, which is someone raises their hand and says, hey, we'd like to talk to you about your expertise in this area. Can we schedule a call with XYZ partner, whoever they are, right? When that event occurs, when someone makes that direct ask, you know, in your lead management system, you need to say, oh, this is a sales ready lead. We need to assign this person to so-and-so to initiate that conversation and start the business development process. So that's avenue one on how that happens is the raising of the hand. The second avenue might be off of some lead scoring model where you're getting digital signals that this person might be open to a conversation based on how they're interacting with a web property or interacting with your marketing activities, in which case then you would flag them and say, well, do we have like an in-house business development manager whose job it is to do some outreach to those types of people to say, hey, you know, can we help you kind of a thing in a very non-threatening way? So there's sort of two ways you can get someone to become a sales ready lead. They're either through their own voluntary request or through some digital buying signals that would activate some type of outbound business development pod. Still with me? I'm with you. I'm, you you can't believe how furiously I'm writing notes here because <laughs> I'm going to come back and-, and Disagree just, with all of it. <laughs> yeah. So now that's when lead scoring comes in. That's where marketing automation comes in. And that, and that was sold to firms and sold to companies everywhere under this like great promise of lead scoring, right? You're going to get all these leads. They're going to come inbound. You're going to score them. You're going to call them. It's going to be Shangri-La, right? And that's all well and good. You know, if you've got resources on hand, people whose job it is to try to initiate new business for your firm proactively than having some type of lead scoring model by which you can determine who in your database are the highest priority to reach out to is a wonderful thing and you should absolutely do it. If you don't have that resource or you don't have either the need or the desire to do proactive business development, then it doesn't really have a whole lot of value, right? So the the lead scoring as as a concept is not really all that useful if you're not going to take the time to do that. So that's why I always tell firms, they'll ask me about automation, they'll ask me about lead scoring. We've been using automation for a decade. We've used lead scoring for a decade. And I tell them all the time that you know the only reason to make that investment is if you intend to do something with the types of data you can get from the system. If you're not ever going to do that, if you're never going to have that type of proactive approach, you probably don't need to spend a bunch of time on lead scoring. You still might want to invest in marketing automation for all kinds of other reasons, but you don't have to necessarily put all your energy into the scoring models, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense to me. You're on a roll. Keep going. All right. So the other thing you brought up, which I thought was really good, is you brought up the importance of lead sources and understanding where leads come from. And it is definitely pretty typical when we go into firms. And and again, we're not really in the the CRM implementation business. I don't want to be in that business. We find ourselves frequently helping clients think through lead management models just because you know in order to generate leads and figure out what to do with them they need a model to do it right but I, I frequently find that that there's <laughs> nobody really has any idea where these leads came from there is no lead sourcing information and a lot of times too there's also what I would consider to be a pretty big misunderstanding of, of the role of sourcing and what it means so and I'll give an example so let's say to me a lead source is all about how someone first got into the database right so how do they first enter the database and first become someone that you're marketing to? 
So if they came inbound off a web search and they subscribe to a newsletter, then you want to capture that moment in time. That doesn't mean you're attributing revenue if an opportunity emerges three years later to that thought leadership. It just means that that's how that person originated in your database. And so there's sort of like two points of attribution you're trying to deal with. You know, the first one is the original point of attribution, like how, where did this person first come from, which ultimately is lead source, and then what most influenced them in their journey, which might be a particular piece of thought leadership or a collection of thought leadership, or simply the business development conversation, the business development lead really, you know, proactively was pursuing them and they just, they just happened to get in the database in some way, shape or form. So I always say like the lead source thing should be sort of matter of fact, like you should be able to determine in your database where your leads came from. And that's just sort of a, you know, matter of fact thing. It gets assigned when the leads created automatically. But once you get all the way down the path into a sales conversation, you're trying to figure out how this opportunity came to be. That's more subjective, right? It's up to the business development lead or the practice leader to kind of figure out through conversation what influenced this person the most to bring them to this conversation right now at this moment in time. And so in a pure lead management model, you should capture both those pieces of data because to your point down the line, you're going to want to do some ROI analysis to figure out what marketing activities are bringing people into the system and what marketing and business development activities are influencing them in their journey. So you want to be able to have both sets of data, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense to me. I love the way you articulate the definition of a lead, that it is a clue to a sale. It is a clue to a sale. And so much of the insight that we need to increase marketing ROI and sales productivity is coming out of that lead. And like I said before, upstream and downstream in the funnel, you know, we might, for example, upstream attribute a lead to an organic search right? They came through, perhaps we can see, you know, what they were, were searching on. But even up above that is why did they go search out help around this issue? What was the trigger? Mm, yeah. And to me, that's where we kind of dovetail back with the intellectual capital agenda and a deeper understanding of what's going on. Most organizations, I think, focus on you know, the search term itself, but don't give enough thought to what prompted the search to start with. Because to the degree you can move up above that search term and and influence demand, you're going to be more in control of your destiny. And you can't get that insight unless you can capture a lead and then work backwards from it. That's why I love, it's a clue, which means, all right, let's investigate it right? Let's not just take it at face value. And the tools that are available to us now really allow us to fill in a lot of those those holes, but it takes some work. And then the second, do you want to comment on that? No, I thought what you said was really cool. I, I, you know, I love the, the idea of getting up above because you think about like you know, a real basic lead management model. Most of the time it's going to you know, assign a lead source to like web search, like you just said. But it's not going to tell you any more than that unless you take the time to investigate it, you know? And I think to your point, what's really fascinating about professional services firms is at the end of the day, you don't need 7,000 pieces of business, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's not like you're, you're not like you're selling, you know, 7,000 
SaaS licenses at $29 a month or something, right? You're selling multi-million dollar deals or you know six or seven figure deals. If you have the, the willingness to build some rigor into your system, you can do things that are really interesting once you've got a set of data and you can go back in time and look at those things and, and, and investigate what you just said. Why did they search that in the first place? Because a lot of times your point, what someone's searching for and what the problem they're solving for are not even the same thing, right? Who knows why they're searching what they're searching or who knows why they, or what they asked for, right? They asked for, you know, they asked so-and-so, do you know anybody that can help me with organizational design? Yeah, I know a guy. I talked to this firm, blah, 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 blah. Well, mm-hmm. that finds out, but the issue is not organizational design. It's leadership, you know, characteristics or something. It's a totally different issue, right? You know? mm-hmm. And so yeah, it's good to understand that stuff, right? Because, you know, to your point, that all feeds your intellectual capital agenda. So I, I didn't say anything new there other than just reaffirming what you said and just saying it was really smart. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Thank you. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. Let me see if I can if I can make another smart comment going in the other direction down the funnel. Once you get a lead and let's say it moves into, you know, it's a marketing qualified lead and we know that sales should reach out to it. I think it's equally important to really focus on that lead from multiple perspectives, right? So the first one is the individual lead, the person whose name you may have captured. And this is why, and we talked about this in the intellectual capital series on removing buying friction, is understanding that leads buying journey. First, from a generic perspective, you know, if you're going to buy solution X, what is the friction or what are the friction points that any individual buying solution X from any vendor is going to come up against, right? In the solution or problem identification or solution exploration or requirement building, there are universal friction spots. And when you have a lead and you're tracking that lead in an effective sales methodology, you're going to see those friction spots evolve over time. And by capturing them and managing that lead, you're going to be more intelligent in managing that lead's journey. And that looking at that friction and that individual lead in terms of what is that lead thinking about at this particular stage? What are they feeling? And we've talked quite a bit about the emotional side of these purchase in in several episodes. And what are they doing? And the doing part is really important. But And we try to capture that in your behavioral activity. You know, did they sign up for this? Did they read, you know, this page or download that? That's important. But again, it's just a clue. Why are they going there? Why are they spending so much time on this page or that page? It's really important. 
But that gives you the more knowledge in the current opportunity, but also as a way to refine and get competitive advantage by making it a less friction burden journey from an individual perspective. Yeah, I really like your, I said it before, I'll say it again. I really liked your concept of friction. And I think what I took away from your comments right now is that there's almost two types of friction. There's systemic friction, right? That you as a marketer and as a business development and as a firm need to recognize that most prospects are going to have. It's things that block them from making a decision that is fairly typical and is something that you're looking for and you're looking for ways to help the buyer overcome that, right? And then there's client-specific friction, you know, specific things that occur within specific client organizations that are just different from, from here to there. And you know, to your point, if you can understand those things, you have the ability to reduce them or mitigate them or just help the buyer work through them. Because sometimes those are just very human. Some of the friction is just human. It's human nature, right? So you're helping them understand where those where those risks are, especially on a high stakes purchase, right? Something that's a big project, big spend, big problem. There's going to be some inherent human friction inside of that, that you can start to think through how to break down. So um, exactly. And, and, and I, I, you know, I kind of group friction into three areas. You know, one is the individual, you know, one is kind of the macro of the industry, And then there's the friction that your firm's sales process or sales methodology or legal restrictions, you know, your your master service agreements and and contracting and, and all that stuff creates friction as well. But the other thing that's really important about lead capture and lead management, particularly in a complex B2B sale, it may start with one individual who's doing kind of the due diligence on potential vendors. But these buying committees are going to be, you know, five, 10 people. You want to be able to expand out of that individual lead into the buying committee and be able to measure the engagement of everyone on the buying committee. Because once you move to, you know, an opportunity, the two most important things in a complex B2B sale is going to be validating a given solution and consensus building, right? And you can't effectively build or help your prospect build consensus if you don't have, you know, a complete understanding of what people are actually doing versus what they're saying to you. So having a clearer behavioral picture as a result of these technologies is going to help you be more effective in terms of this current opportunity, but in learning how buying committees might be interacting with your firm when they're actually not talking to somebody in your firm. And that is so critical to me to, again, increasing the ROI of the investments we're making in sales and marketing. And you can't do that unless you're managing leads. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. I, I think it's really interesting too. I'll just allude to the research. I don't have the numbers handy, but I, I believe Gartner did a study on this, and they said that you know over the last seven or eight years, maybe it's longer. You know, the average B two B buy went from six something decision makers to eleven. 
So, you know, you are definitely seeing, I'm sure all firms are feeling it, that a lot more and more deals require large committees and large consensus decision-making. And, you know, if you've got a lead management model that extrapolates to a lead scoring model, and then maybe even extrapolates up to an account scoring model, you start to have a picture of in that committee who's engaged with your, your firm and your marketing and your organization, at least based on what they're doing. I don't think you want to be able to see what's what they're thinking and feeling. I mean, you want to be able to understand that, but it's kind of a big brother thing to that. That's probably a little, a little too creepy for me. But um, <laughs> uh, so, but, um, yeah. But 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 when we when we start talking about behaviors, you know, those behaviors aren't just download a, a white paper or correct. you know sign up for a newsletter. You know, are they opening emails? Are they forwarding? emails? Are they looking at a proposal that you even sent them, right? So if you send them a proposal and they haven't even opened the proposal, that's probably a pretty strong clue that, you know, they're not really interested in your proposal or this person is not really weighing heavy in the decision or they're making a decision that has nothing to do with your proposal. Yeah. However, that, that falls out, you need to be able to prepare for those eventualities, right? I, I just know from experience as a buyer, right? If my gut tells me this is not the firm, I, I probably am not going to waste my time opening and reading one of their proposals, even though it's a beautiful, great proposal. I'm just not going to take the time to read it because I'm too busy to do that. And in my mine intuitively I've made the decision another way, then a salesperson would want to know that and want to at least have an opportunity to say, you know, maybe there was something misrepresented here, or maybe we didn't click or we didn't do something. So if somebody's not opening your proposal, you need to know that. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a great point. We're at time. <laughs> You know, I don't know. Maybe there's a closing thought. Maybe that's a good way to wrap on this one is, is maybe what, what's, you know, when you step back and you think about leads and lead, the lead management process, what do you think is most important for listeners to take away? And I'll, I'll do the same. The most important thing is your definition of a lead. It's a clue to a sale. You cannot expand and, and analyze whether it be upstream into marketing or downstream into effective selling until you capture that lead and you actually start asking questions and probing around that lead that uncovers more clues. And clues is is a great term because it's kind of loose, but the job is to put more detail and meat into that clue so that you can deduce what it's going to take to drive revenue in this opportunity and other opportunities as a result of the clues that that lead gives you. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better than that. And I should probably attribute clue to sale is really Blair N's language. I, I learned that from him and I've always really liked it. So I should give him an attribution on that. My one thought is just have a process. I mean, you know, just take the time to think through what your process looks like and how you want leads to come into the system and put enough sophistication into it that it's not just anybody that shows up with a project and money is a lead. That's how a lot of firms think about it. I think you have to think a little deeper than that. I think if, if your definition of what constitutes good is only the person that comes in the door with a specific problem and a project in mind and cash in their pocket to spend it, 
then you're missing out on the whole front side of marketing and you're missing out on a whole bunch of other things you could be doing to shape the buying journey, to shape you know, what's going on in the marketplace, to, to quite frankly, position yourself to win you know, more of those deals at a higher rate. So you're just, you're closing your mind off to a whole world of opportunity around sales and marketing, if that's the way you're looking at the world. So go back and listen to our intellectual capital, because it's not just, lead is not just revenue, it's learning and a deeper understanding that's going to give you competitive advantage. All right, man. Well, I will talk to you next week. See you, buddy. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher.